Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. things we say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. And our special guest this evening is my brother, Dennis. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I, we'll see if you feel that way by the end. <laughs> I didn't know if we would ever get him on here, but I think I finally found something that he's somewhat passionate about. <laughs> Numbers. <laughs> it's true. Numbers. <laughs> and, and coronavirus. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Did you know? Go for it. Since Peyton Manning was selected number one in 1998, 16 quarterbacks have been selected number one overall in the past 22 years. So there's been 22 drafts since Peyton Manning. Yeah. 16 quarterbacks have been selected number one. Were they all the Browns? Only two (laughs) quarterbacks... In that time span, have two of those quarterbacks, those number one overall quarterbacks, mm-hmm. only two of them have led their team to a Super Bowl victory. Okay. Both of them with the last name Manning. Really? Yes. Only the Mannings of the number one first, first overall quarterbacks have led their team to Super Bowl victory. That's amazing. I, yeah, I would not have guessed that. So the Browns keep trying to pick that number one overall <sighs> quarterback. Their if we problem, could pick any quarterback out problem. of college this year, if he's not named Manning, yeah. pass on him. Their, their <laughs> Take problem, the Mahomes, the Lamar Jackson. Their problem the, is not their quarterbacks. <laughs> I actually really like I like their current quarterback a lot. I like Mayfield. I like you him. think ba- Baker Mayfield's going to break the trend? Was he num- He was number one overall. If they no. can get – Was he? Uh, did they – I thought he was. I don't remember. Yeah. One or two. Either way. But either way, I feel like if they can figure out a coach and get a real one in there, they will be just fine. They've got a lot of good pieces right now that could be something if they had somebody who actually knew how to coach. Right. That's the only problem that they currently have. Next time, don't hire a guy off the street who looks like a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So what's been going on in life for you the last couple weeks, I guess? Because we haven't, we haven't talked in front of everybody for a little while. So anything new going on with you? Um, well, tomorrow is my first day as someone's boss. Mm, how do you feel I about that? I spent the first, uh, what is it, like 18 years of my working life not being in charge of anyone. <laughs> Except your children and yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, keeping a fairly low bar for myself, but uh, <laughs> constantly exceeding, which is great. It's which, a good place to be. Which is great. Um, yeah. I, I'm now taking on a management position at work and that's going to be interesting times for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun. Um, so anyway, yeah, me and Nate have been talking to each other quite a bit and on, on, uh, times when we would otherwise be podcasting. So we've been taking some time off, but we hope to make it good when we're here. Yes. So, 
And I'm going to tell we'll make you sure all, we're sufficiently fired up before yeah. we jump on the mic. And I'm going to tell you all, it's very likely that next week we will not actually record because Sheldon has never seen any of the Indiana Jones films. And so we're going to watch them together. I made him watch <laughs> Star Wars by himself. He's watching Indiana Jones with me because Indiana Jones is far better than Star Wars. Oh. And you can argue with me, but you're wrong. So <laughs> that's all there is to that. Baker Mayfield was number one overall. Okay. Saquon Barkley went to Sam Darnold three. Yeah. But... I would like to know how many of those 16 picks have done anything or are even still in the league. That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, but since then, a sixth rounder has won at least six Super Bowls. Yeah. So. Yeah. What was what was uh, what was Tom Brady? Yeah, sixth round. That's was he who six? I was talking about? Okay, I thought so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I might still. I am really. Win another one. I'm really interested to see how he does on a new team. All I've wanted for the past however many years, is to see Belichick without Brady and Brady without Belichick, and I'm going to get to see it, and it pleases me so much. Oh, I'm incredibly happy. And even, it's like, he's got Gronk, too, so. Right. I forgot about that. We get to see Brady and Gronk yeah. together. It's going to yeah, be awesome. Yeah. Man, he's a psycho. That whole family's nuts. What about you? How's your life been? Uh, all three of my children are mobile now. So that's fun. Yeah. We no longer have one that you can sit in a spot and have her be in the same place when you come back to the room. So that's, uh, that's new. Yeah. And uh, we're, now, proof the yeah, we're now blocking staircases and things like that. But uh, that's probably been the most eventful thing. My wife's going to get off working uh, weekends. Uh, we just found out uh, in September. Sweet. Yeah. We thought it was going to be till after the year was over, but September. So, yeah, that's pretty awesome. That'll be the first time in five years that... We'll have weekends again. It'll be awesome. Big life changes. Big life changes. Woohoo! By you, Dennis. Anything good for you? Anything bad for you? Anything at all for you? Oh, not really. Just chasing the two little boys around, and I don't know. Generally doing fun things, but. So one of the reasons that I asked you to come on this podcast is that I just kind of wanted to introduce people to someone in my family much <laughs> smarter than me. And people pretty well know that on here, most of my ideas are half-baked, and I need to talk them out <laughs> in order to get them somewhere. And your, your credentials are much more than mine. What, what uh, level of education have you achieved, and in what area of study? <laughs> well, I have a master's in math, um, kind of the pure math branch for anyone that knows anything about math. But um, That means nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Explain just in layman's terms what that means. As, wh um, addition, subtraction, and pure math. Well, <laughs> in, la in layman's terms, you have math that you use, and then you have math that you don't use. What so I study. Theoretical? Yeah. So theoretical versus practical. Like practical, I think engineering, computer science, that type of stuff. Theoretical is more like number theory. Um, kind of like algebra times 10,000, if you want to think about that way. Oh, I don't um, want to think about that at all. <laughs> Basically, after undergrad, all you do is work through proofs and why they work, and then you have to write your own and explain them. So that's let, let me explain to you my complicated relationship with advanced mathematics of any kind. I feel like they're all just making it up. When I watch somebody explain... Whether it's, whether it's, you know, like physics or any of this stuff, I'm watching them like try to explain this and, and writing out these long theorems. And I'm like, 
is this really anything, or are you just saying things and nobody's willing to say this isn't anything, and you're just all agreeing with each other? Like That's what it looks like to me. To you? It just it just mystifies me. I I there whatever part in your brain that's supposed to like kind of click with that. Mine, somebody must have jiggled God's arm when he was putting that part in, and, and he spilled it. You know, it didn't it didn't work good in there. I I, I don't understand that at all. Well, I mean, yeah, yes and no. I. The way I like to describe math is it's more of a language. It, you're basically describing what's already there just in a way that's a lot neater and cleaner and can lead to more discoveries. So it's like you're giving, you're giving what's there a name. Right. And under, it's underlying it all is, is patterns, way of describing things like um, a big branch that just came about in the last couple of years is group theory. And it's basically taking the concepts of what you normally do with numbers and expanding them to other objects like matrices and, and things you wouldn't think you could apply mathematical theories to, but you can. And at the basis, it's just a matter of describing how patterns work and why things work in our universe the way that they do. And it's really, it's really a language that can describe it in a way that no other language can, and much more simply. And I mean, it doesn't sound simple to people, but it actually simplifies very complex things. To those who can understand them. Right. And I mean, it might look like nothing to you, but to someone that knows what they're talking about, I mean, you know exactly what they're talking about. And to be clear, <laughs> I know it's not nothing. I do That's understand that. Yeah, it. I'm telling you how I right. feel about it, not what I think about it. I understand on a cognitive level that it is a thing. It just it it just escapes me entirely. It's it's actually interesting because in the pure mathematic theory, we're right now we're working in stuff that may not be used for years and years, but years and years ago they were working on stuff in pure math fields that are just being used today. And one one fascinating example is um, quantum computing. Yeah. If we were if we had the ability to invent a workable quantum computer right now, the mathematical theory is about ten years ahead right now. We could do incredible things with that. And I've studied some of that theory, and it's just fascinating. Some of the things that we say, if we can build this, we can do this with this. Right. And well, one one example that I have of that, and this is I, I feel smart for this, but I'll throw it out is is uh, Hedy Lamar, actually inventing not inventing but coming up with the ma mathematical theory that allowed for basically Bluetooth and wireless charging, like all the things we do, uh, Wi-Fi, all the things we do do now in like the 1930s or or 20s even. I don't even remember exactly when it was, but like yeah, it was way ahead of its time <laughs> and didn't find a use until far far later. So right. I, I can get that. I can get that. I can get behind that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, and that's why it doesn't seem useful to a lot of people because we're in the, in the theory part of it, we're often so far ahead of what can we actually use this for, and we often don't find out till much later. And some of it is used right away. I mean, we use theoretical math all the time. We just don't know it, but. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> And when you were working your way through college, did, were you involved in, so you were involved in something that was like medical research or something? Was that while you were at Thunder Bay or? Yeah, for three years I worked as a research assistant. We did 
like modeling, I'd set up this computer simulation and these atoms would float around on these like different surfaces and we studied did they go down and sit on the surface or did they kind of float there or did they kind of run away? <laughs> but what was, what was the purpose for what they were studying there? The, the point was to find good materials for like implants in your body. So would gotcha. the blood cells reject them? Would they accept them? We wanted something that was like a neutral reaction. Like you didn't, they didn't run away. They kind of like hovered around it. They didn't want to stick to it though, because that was bad. So running away and sticking was bad, but kind of hovering there was good. So that's so we designed the models, and then I analyzed a lot of the data from it and said whether they ran away or kind of hovered there or not. So, so as as a sci-fi nerd, I have to ask this question, and I'm not like a hardcore sci-fi nerd, but enough. Does your understanding of mathematics ruin any kind of science fiction slash? Uh, Futurist projection entertainment? Um, yes and no. I mean, it kind of ruined the Big Bang Theory for me because I don't know, some of that stuff, some of the stuff they say is either way out of context or not. It just occurred accurate. to me you're talking <laughs> about the show, which is totally what you should be talking about because <laughs> yes. that's what I asked. Because you asked but a yeah, my brain just went. Yeah, my brain just went to a totally different place. But I'm with you now. Okay, go ahead. But, I mean, as far as, like, the space-time travel and stuff like that, not really because theoretically that's possible. Right. The theoretically, in, in theoretical math, time is just another dimension. I mean, we work with, like, tons of dimension, like multi-dimensional fields, right. and time is just another dimension. So uh, that stuff is entirely plausible, I mean, yeah. theoretically. Yeah. Well, I get, just to give you an example, like if I, if I see a movie and there's a musician in it or someone playing a musician, and I watch it and I go, ah, that guy does not actually play guitar. He's like, not actually playing that. Or instrument. like knowing firearms as I do, you know, I'll see somebody pull out a Glock and you hear a hammer cocking and I'm like no that's not a real thing that doesn't make that sound I mean like those kind of things where you just look at it and you go like this is all garbage and or they're just fire, saying they, things. they like fire a gun out of a car from like across someone in a car yeah and and then everybody's turn okay. around and have normal, normal conversation yeah and nobody's going nobody's ears ah! are bleeding yeah the only the only time I ever saw and I'm gonna reference this movie and recommend that nobody watch it but the only time I ever saw that done correctly is in snatch because they have, they have a, a fake gun. It's a, it's a replica. And the guy fires it inside the car, and it shatters the windows of the car. And they're both sitting there, like, holding their ears and in horrible pain because he fired it inside an enclosed car. It's the only yeah. place I've ever seen do that realistically. Anyway, yeah. sorry. That's definitely not why we're here. No. Um, and, yeah, anyway, so you, you, did so you were in the medical research stuff for, like, three years and... Then you got your master's, and you do some teaching in math, too? Yeah, I did some teaching at the high school level for a few years. Um, you taught a little at the college level, too. Yeah, well, I still teach part-time at the college level. And statistics is the main class I teach at the college level right now. As you can see, he's much <laughs> smarter than me. He's much I, smarter than us, So combined. I inherently <laughs> distrust statistics. Is that like how do you when you encounter statistics that are thrown out in presidential debates or which is probably the lowest form of statistics and then maybe like 
on your local news regarding a specific pandemic or something? Like, how do you respond? Just for, you know, yeah, out of you thin know, air. Just, just out of thin air. Hypothetically. How, would, how do you respond usually to those statistics? And, what like, how does that hit you, <laughs> I guess? Well, I mean... The bottom line is you can make a statistic say whatever you want to say. And if you have an opinion, you can always find a statistic that backs that up. Right. So do you, do you think that people's opinions are changed by statistics? Is that why people are selecting or making it say something? Like you're, you have an opinion and then you go find the statistic for it, or do people find the statistic and it forms their opinion? It depends who you're talking about. If you're talking about, say, a government official with a political agenda, then definitely you have an opinion, go get a statistic and make it back up your opinion. But for the average person, you tend to trust certain sources more than something else. So if the government comes out with a statistic, you're more likely to say, huh, well, that's probably true when the person putting that out is probably the one that had the opinion, went and got the statistic and put it out there. Yeah. Now, that being said, there are sources that are generally more reputable than other sources. Um, that's kind of changed in the last couple of years, I think, <laughs> as some of your more reputable sources definitely have some conflict of interest. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I... I I always hear people talking about, you know, empirical data or, uh, you know, just just the, you know, somebody would say to me, well, just the science. I don't care about the bias. And I look at it and I'm like, I don't think there's anything that we do as humans that has no bias. Because you're always chasing something. You're always chasing an outcome. You're always chasing a, a theory. And I'm not saying that all bias is uh, necessarily ill-intentioned or bad. It's just, it, it exists. It exists for everybody. And so the idea that there's anything just completely empirical or impartial out there, I don't know that that's very realistic right? in anything. Then that's true. Um, obviously, there's some things that you have less of a motivation to put slanted statistics out about. Mm. Now, something like, say, the COVID pandemic, you definitely have a lot of money and a lot of interest leaning certain ways. So you kind of have to do your own research when it comes to that. Yeah. 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 I think, I think COVID is especially weird because of the sample size and who we're testing and who's going to get tested. And the fact that most people will only go get tested a, if they're like hypochondriac and they just want to make sure that this little sniffle or cough or I was around someone and I thought they might have it. Now I probably have it and I'm going to Someone die. looked at me without a mask on. Right. <laughs> Somebody without a mask on was near me in the Walmarts and I lost my ever-loving mind. <laughs> and so now I need to be tested right away. Like, other than those people, most of the people that are getting tested are either already in the hospital because they're sick, they're in a care facility of some kind, they have reason to be in contact with somebody that has covid over an extended medical professionals, of time. different right. things like that. And so we're already testing people that should have high incidences of it. Right? Most of the time, like our sample is a little it's not just like you, you and you, random like one out of six people in the US. By the way, one out of six people in the US has been tested. <laughs> That's, That's true. true. 
We're up to 52 million tests nationwide. That's one out of six people, which... Which is a higher number than anyone in yeah. the world. In the world. Much higher. Yeah. I mean, we actually, we used to only be testing those more at risk, but that's changed in probably the last month or so. They've, they, in a lot of states, they're doing mass tests of the general population. And what you're seeing from that is definitely a lot lower positivity rate. But the problem that comes with that is you get a lot of duplicate tests because mm -hmm. it's when people say when people hear there's X amount of new cases, they automatically assume X amount of new people got got these cases, which which is definitely not true because because of HIPAA laws and all that, you don't have some sort of national database where you say, okay, that person's been tested, that's a positive, done. No, they're just tests. They're, so they're anonymous tests. So any other time tests. they get tested will not show up as a positive. You know, if in the perfect world, that one positive test would be the only time that that person ever shows up as a positive test. Right. So you could have five positive cases from one person. Right. Which I, I actually know for a fact that there was a woman who... Uh, who got COVID, tested positive, was not allowed to go back to work until she tested negative for it and was going back for last I knew every week for 10 weeks to get tested because she, obviously she wanted to go back to work. Mm -hmm. Every single time was counted as a new case right. because she was still being, she was still positive. Yeah. And not only that, the, the other problem with the mass testing is the testing used to be all under CDC control. CDC ran the whole show. But they abandoned that basically the second week in April and sourced it out to all kinds of different testing labs. The problem you run into with there is there's not really a standard procedure yeah. for gathering these results and reporting them. Some, some of these places are still doing it by fax. Like they'll, yeah. they'll fax over the results. And, faxing. and there's just... There's just actually very reliable. <laughs> <laughs> Unless... You didn't know what you were doing. Unless you're El Elvis Doomerville. I don't know who that is. Okay. Do I want to know who that <laughs> this is? This is a great little story. Elvis Doomerville signed a contract with the Denver Broncos for X number of dollars. Okay. He was a free agent at the time. He was coming from the Broncos. They were trying to re-sign him. They, he faxed his paperwork, said he faxed the paperwork, but it didn't come through until after the league deadline had passed. And so it was invalidated. His contract was not valid. He, and so he hadn't signed with the Broncos, and so he could sign with anyone else and ended up signing an offer with the Baltimore Ravens. Huh. Because his facts didn't go through. Or some, what they claim. It came through late. It didn't yeah. go through. Whatever it was, there was a problem with the faxing. He had signed it. He had done it. He had sent it. And it was a matter of millions of dollars. And the team for which he would play next season was decided because of a fax machine. By a fax machine. machine. Yeah. Elvis Dumerville. He just sound, that name just sounds unintelligent. No, he's a great I know, but I'm saying, rusher. But it sounds like. I, I even want to say he won that Super Bowl with the Ravens. I think he was on that Raven. He may have been on the Ravens team that beat the Niners. But that's like that's I'm like not an, sure. That's like an Elmer Fudd level name. Elvis Doomerville. Straight up. Yeah. Straight up. If that's your last all I'm name saying. is Doomerville and you name your kid Elvis, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. not does not bode well for you. 
Although, although that's just an unfortunate last name. There's a lot of, if you put in any old sounding first name <laughs> there, it's going to be problematic. Yeah, it's not going to be helpful. Thaddeus Stumerville also sounds like you should be a lord <laughs> of some kind. <laughs> lord Thaddeus Stumerville. <laughs> anyway, oh, we're way off topic. But yes, faxes, the testing labs are faxing things. And that's where we got off track. I will always bring us back well, to I where we left the I money trail. I think that's one of the things that troubles me about all this. Because I, who have no great concept of math, who have no great love of math, am looking at these numbers and going, something is wrong here with what we're seeing and how we're seeing it done. So when our governor gets up there and says, there's this many thousand new cases in this county, now we're going to move them from orange to purple or posy pink or whatever he's got going on. Like, you, we're going to change the color of this county because they've got thousands of new cases. Well, and the thing those, that trips... The thing those that people may, may have been... <laughs> You could have had 12,000 tests last month and the same 12,000 people get tested like two weeks later and they could all be the right. same cases. Well, and not only that, I do know for a fact that, and, and it makes sense in terms of trying to see the overall number of people who have had COVID. Right. So I get it. But they're counting antibody cases as new cases because they're new to people that have had it, people that have had covered it. Yeah. And, and gone back and, and are walking around tested. with the antibodies for one reason or another. And that, that's actually a very good point because that, get, that introduces a whole time lapse into the thing where there's, there's two types of tests for COVID. There's a test to say if you have the virus right now, and then there's a test, there's an antibody test that tells you if you've had it in the past, like however many months. So they're not separating them right now. They're right. throwing it all into one bucket. So you could have someone test positive for the antibodies today. It goes on as a new case today, but they had COVID two months ago. Right. So when they say tests, when they say cases are going up, it might not necessarily be going up right now. Right. They might just be fine. Their knowledge it. of cases is going up. Right. Which, again, is not dishonest. And I think it's a good stat to know. I think it's I think it's a good stat to know how many Ohioans have had this. But my struggle is is like I want to know what our active cases are right now. And you cannot find that anywhere. Mm. All of the weird recesses of the internet that I have searched, I cannot find anybody with legitimate backing telling me how many active cases we currently have. And I feel like that's an important thing that you should know. I don't even want to know who recovered. I just want to know what's active now. What we know, the people we know are sick essentially, which I know that's tough. I can, yeah. I can see how that could be problematic, but we're pushing the number right, right now. What are we at? 81,000. If I remember correctly, 81,000 people in Ohio are not sick with COVID right now. Everybody, <laughs> please understand that there are not 81,000 sick people in Ohio right now. There just aren't. That is from let's, let's say, you know, I know some of the antibodies they've gone back to some of the tracing they've said goes back to maybe like January or February. So let's say that's from January to now, there have been 81,000 confirmed cases of COVID. In the entire state of in Ohio. In the entire state of Ohio. Not a small number, not yeah. at all. But when you spread it out over that time, it takes on a different level of intensity to me. And so just constantly being the fed the number of cases, new cases, as a, or cases that we have, as opposed to what is current, I feel like is, a, is kind of sleight of hand. There's 11.7 million people in, in Ohio. Ohio, yes, as a, as a point of reference. 
And it, it is interesting, though, to see how that focus shifts because you used to have, uh, in the height of it, the focus was all on deaths, like this right. many people died, and that generally shifted to um, hospitalizations, and then they kind of, and now we're just at raw case numbers. Yeah. And if you look, even Ohio's data over the past month and a half, our positivity percent, meaning the percent test positive, has been steady and is only 2% above the lowest point we've ever been. The lowest point was 4.3% back in mid-June. Right now, we're sitting at about 6%. We've been at 6% for a month and a half. So when DeWine is saying, oh, we had like the third highest number of cases this day, we also had probably the third highest number of tests that day. Yeah. So it's, it's been flat line. It's been flat for a month and a half now. And this, this focus on this resurgence in Ohio is, is totally fabricated. Even, even, even if you totally believe all the testing results that we have now, even those results are telling you there's not a surge right, right. now. If we take your 81,000 number and even round it up to 100, yeah. divided by our population, that's confirmed 0.85% of yeah. the population. Yeah. 0.85, like not 1%. Yeah, all getting closer. <laughs> but but We're my, getting closer. Again, my biggest struggle... And, and, so, so this is a state that just this week gave us a mask mandate where yes. everyone that's out in public has to be wearing a mask. Yes. Or or what happens, we don't know. I, like I nope, don't they won't give you what a penal, what the penalty yeah. is. And the Well the, and, and law enforcement basically they say law enforcement is supposed to and in the in the order it says that this is not incumbent on businesses to enforce it necessarily. Right. It's uh, it's it, law enforcement is supposed to enforce it. And yet in our county, like when the county sheriffs were asked, are you guys going to enforce it? They're like, no, the health department is going to enforce yeah, it. Yeah, and they literally told people, don't call 911 if you see someone without a mask. If you need to call and someone, call the health department. How many people are in the health department? I don't know, but it's a really small building. It's a very small building. It was our There's original church building, as a matter of fact. Right. And so how are they going to police everything? They're just not. Right. So it's more of right. like... And and, and, and I will say it's an unconstitutional mandate. The government does not get to tell me what to wear. I, I don't. As far as far as my libertarian and sorry, I, I just quick disclaimer. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. This this does not reflect the views of Worcester Church of the Nazarene Venture Products, <laughs> uh, me in a pastoral capacity or in any sort of other capacity in which I earn a living. Yes. Or lead anyone. Yes. This is my personal opinion. Yes. This is. Completely unconstitutional. Yes. And in no way am I going to comply with this. Well, like, and that's the funny thing it, to me. The enforcement of it, I look at it and I'm like, the enforcement of it would be unconstitutional. Just right. saying it. I suppose the government can say whatever I, they want yeah, if they I don't think, intend I think to throw DeWine's, anyone in jail. Yeah, I think DeWine's goal is to, is to touch the rule followers. And they'll right. just automatically say, well, it's a rule now, I'm going to do it. But what it leads to is everyone nagging each exactly. other constantly over something that's ridiculous. We are now dividing people based on what they do and do not wear. Right. And the pro my, my personal problem with the mask is what I saw somebody talking about, um, is that it, it will, when you wear a mask, it takes away that person's individuality. Mm. It really does. When I see someone else across the aisle from me or whatever, I can't tell whether they're smiling at me, whether they are friendly, 
whether they are like saying hello or nodding hello, whether or, they're like, someone you know or not. Away. Yeah, I don't know if I know this person. I've you cannot make any of the nonverbal social interactions that you would normally do. Like when when you have public speakers and they tell you 70% of communication is nonverbal. Right. And you're like, great. Now we've just removed all of that, <laughs> put people in a tense atmosphere in which we've told them to be afraid of everyone and told everybody to go around nagging each other. Yeah. This is not going to work out well. Right. It, it, the government needed something, and I don't know why, but I think the government needed a visual representation of the fear that they were trying to inflict on everyone because they were telling everyone this is serious this is serious you got to do something you got to change your lives and we did and then they need to keep that state of emergency going <laughs> and i'm not sure why and then the mask act as a visual representation for this yeah oh. i honestly i will say this i was on board at the beginning when everybody said flatten the curve two weeks to save the United States. Like, we cannot all get this all at once. We need to wear masks. We need to socially distance. Well, they didn't say wear masks. No. At the beginning. They said don't wear masks. Oh, thinking. speaking of things that are hard to find on the internet, try to find Anthony Fauci saying that you do not need to wear a mask. It's not effective. Really, if you're not wearing an N95 mask, it's not doing anything. Or if you sneeze into that T-shirt or surgical mask that's over your face, it just all blows out the side anyway. Like, if you're not wearing an N95 mask, there's no point. And he was basically saying all of right. this early on in the pandemic because there weren't masks available to everyone. If you go to try to find that video right now on YouTube, Google, anywhere... It's you been got, scrubbed. You basically can find somebody who posted it on Twitter or Instagram. Right. And then you will find people that you will you will find people saying why you need to be wearing a mask now. Like if you search for it, that's what you will find. Yeah. Yeah. I I have no problem with masks in general because I'm like I look at it as like, you know what? If that helps you, if that gives you peace of mind, if that allows you to go back to work, if that allows you to be out in the world and not be sequestered. If, if that's what you need, awesome. I don't have a problem with that. No, I don't have a problem with other people wearing it of no. their own volition. Yes. Yes. I have a problem with the people nagging other people. Right. Like, none of your freaking business. <laughs> I live in America. I'm, I'm a free person. Yes. Like, don't, don't nag people about something that is literally not enforceable law. Right. It just, it, it, but it I also isn't. think that was part of the point is how do we get people to essentially self-police this? I think that's been part of, part of this whole thing. Do you want people nagging each other? That's what you want? That's the, that's the end goal? That's the end game? <sighs> All right. Let, let, me, let me at least say this. I, I, look at, I look at DeWine, and I don't want the man's job at all. I don't want to have to be the one making these decisions because as a politician, it has to be political and reasonable. You have to some, somehow find a marriage of these two things that are most of the times diametrically opposed to one another, right. the political and the reasonable. And I feel like for the most part, he has done all right. He's done as, as well as you could, all things considered. However, I do not know where my 
vote would be cast when I'm given the opportunity to vote for the man again based on some yeah. of the things that I've seen. So how, how's that for a thing? It's definitely, definitely a thing. <laughs> I would like to read the First Amendment of the United States <laughs> Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. This is often held up as like the free speech amendment. It's really the religion amendment. Yeah. Basically, you are allowed to, without infringement of the government, exercise your religion. They cannot make any law regarding that. And right. yet, today, in California, you are not allowed to assemble your church. Yeah. It's not allowed. Yeah. And You're they're not doing it anyway, which I love. Sing. There's been a There's been a, some large-scale rebellion happening in California over this, right. which I'm all for. No church till 2021 because people are getting sick is not okay. Yeah. Like, I was on board when they said flatten the curve. We've got to flatten the curve. We did that. We stayed home. We, we canceled our jobs. We canceled every event. We all stayed home. We socially distanced, whatever it was. There weren't cars on the road. Yeah. And you know what? Our hospitals were not overwhelmed. Yes. We did it. And hospitals have been laying people off all summer. Right. I don't know. Uh, you know people in the medical field. I yeah. know people in the medical field. Hospitals have been laying people off. Yeah. So we didn't overwhelm the hospitals. The whole point was when they said flatten the curve, it's like there's the same amount of people in this curve, in both <laughs> curves, right? This one's really steep in which it exceeds hospital capacity. And these people that don't get treated die. Yeah. You don't want to kill these people. Let them all get treated. That just means it'll stay around longer because the same amount of people are going to get this virus. Yeah. Whoever was going to get it is going to get it. And the fact that it's around longer is because we didn't all get it at once and just go about our everyday lives. It's just going to take longer to work its way through the population. Yeah. It, there isn't a magic bullet for this. Your, your T-shirt over your face is not a magic <laughs> bullet for this. Your surgical mask that you've worn eight days straight and laid on every surface <laughs> known to man and stuffed in the center console of your car <laughs> is no better than me walking around with nothing. It's worse. <laughs> But it, it is interesting, though. It's interesting to think about how the government's mandating stuff now when it was really the government that botched it from the beginning. Because one of the, one of the biggest lies that has perpetuated through this whole thing, somewhat intentionally, is that you look at the death numbers and you think, oh, great, 144,000 people died. But you have to look at the age groups also. This is, this is not an across-the-board virus. This, it affects ages very differently. Yeah. Like, for the 65 and over age group, accounts for 80% of the deaths, 65 and over. If you go to 55 and over, that's 93% of the deaths. Mm. So telling people under the age of 65 that they're going to die from this and that they need to stay home from work is just, statistically, it's absurd. So and that is the working population. Right. right. Like you retired 60, largely right. people retired 65. So you're working, your workforce is under 65. Now, and what's also interesting to think about is right now we have 144,000 deaths. So 
let's let's look at the over 65 population. Let's say we focused on that right away and really cut that number down. If you had zero deaths over 65, you would be looking at 28,000 people in the U.S. dead right now. Right. 28,000 is less than most flu seasons. Well, right. And not only that, but then looking at some of the skewed numbers for COVID deaths that have been admitted to where someone died from something unrelated and they're saying, well, we found out they had COVID, so we're going we're gonna to count this as a COVID death, You're which right. has and not been by and large, but it's... It's there, so you don't really know well, what, it, what it that breakdown is. In your standard flu season, it, on average, you get about 500,000 people in the hospital and about 50,000 dead yeah. in the standard flu season. In the United States. Yeah. And, and it, is, it is interesting because for like causes of death, you can have multiple causes of death. Mm -hmm. And if someone dies with COVID, they will attribute that, they will count that as a COVID death. Not right. as a COVID death alone, but it right. will be counted in the COVID death statistics. And it's the same with hospitalizations. Like a lot of people are saying, oh, we're seeing such a rise in hospitalizations. But one of the things you have to remember is hospitals have just recently reopened so that the general population can come back in. Right. So you walk into a hospital for like a sprained ankle, they test you, you test positive, you're a COVID hospitalization. Right. And... And it's, it's so interesting, though, because we knew about the age thing almost right away. Right. Two weeks into this, we knew it was the over 65 population that was at risk. The government did virtually nothing about that. Yeah. Virtually nothing. If we would have just... New York actually did stuff that was counterproductive exactly. regarding older people and moving people from one nursing home to right. another. Even though they had all these massive right. hospital... You know, Samaritan's Purse came in and set up these massive things. We had those hospital ships in New York Harbor, and they didn't use them. And what's interesting about New York is they actually told nursing homes, you cannot refuse a, po a COVID-positive patient. You have to take them. And New York and New Jersey, which usually count as trickle-down from New York, still accounts for one-third of the deaths in the entire United States in New York and New Jersey alone. Most of those were in the over 65 population. Most of them were the direct result of that policy. So now you have the government telling everyone they have to wear masks when it was literally the government who had been botching this from the very beginning yeah. and not focusing on that vulnerable population. Yeah. But that was that, that goes back to the numbers being skewed from the beginning. And at first we're looking at like, the rate of increase was super important. But as the rate of increase is leveled off, then we have to look at total number of cases. Right. And then right. as like daily new cases aren't quite what we thought they were, then we're looking at like total overall. It, that's the graphs that bother me most. Yeah. I'm like, mm -hmm. this number is never going to zero. If you're looking at total number of cases, that's always going to be small at the beginning and large right now. Right. Like anytime somebody shows you that graph, it's like, well, why? And it's, it's amazing too because if you look at the, because the the Ohio.gov uh, COVID site has a lot of detail in the information if you get into it, mm -hmm. but the thing is the graph is way scarier than what's actually being shown because when you see the 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 number thresholds that they're actually talking about and you actually look at that, which is in thinner print. Off to the side, most people just see the big spike in the blue or the yellow or whatever, and they're like, oh, my goodness, look at this huge spike. But it's like, no, this is just like 25, 50 cases. Like, it's not, it's not massive for, yeah. for a particular mm -hmm. county. And so they're not – I'm not going to go so far as to say they're lying because right. the information's there if you take a second and look at it. Mm 
mm-hmm. but it's not obvious. It's not readily available. It's it's they're not hiding the ball, but it's it's a trick play at the very least. And they're not they're not focusing even on positive percent rate, like the percent of tests that are positive, because right. that has clearly been flat in Ohio at least for quite some time. There are some states where that percent has gone up recently, but. There's also stories about that. There's just a story in Florida where they found out there was 300 testing sites that had 100% positive rate. Yep. So they basically were not reporting any negative cases. So oh, you so have that kind of thing going on. Like they had 600 people tested, 60 tested positive. So when they asked for their numbers, they said 60. Right. They said 100% 60. of the positive cases tested positive. Right. Yeah. Is essentially what they did. Yeah. So that you're at a lab with, yeah, if they had 60 positive, they said, okay, we had 60 positive tests. And that's How just many misunderstanding they? what should be reported. Right. right. But. And, well, and there was another one where it was, I think they had, what was it, an, a, a 9.4% positive rate, and it got, it got reported as 98%. Right. And were, that, so there were a couple of those too where it was just like right. something like a decimal point got moved by somebody and it got screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's interesting too because you know initially we were hearing about Florida a lot when all of the the new spike was happening. Now not so much. Now that those things kind of came out, it's yeah. kind of gotten quiet in Florida again. And that that is really interesting cuz that story, that was a local Fox affiliate that broke that story yeah. the day after that story came out you don't hear a peep about Florida. Right. And if you look at the official CDC graph, if you look at the pop positive percent, there's a huge spike about a week and a half ago, and it's been flat ever since then. Yeah. Mysteriously. Yeah. Nobody they got their because numbers right. the virus, you know, just got right. scared and ran out of Florida. Right. Well, and that's been one of the things that's bothered me, I think, the most, particularly where DeWine's concerned, is whatever you believe about the spike or not the spike or whatever, one of the things that's troubling to me is everyone's refusal to acknowledge the reality of the protests and even riots that we've seen over these months and how mm-hmm. this plays into that. Because you have people, you know, we're, states were reopening slowly. They were being cautious. Yeah, there were some outliers where they were doing some foolish, quote, foolish things, gathering more than they should or but doing whatever. in professional settings, we've all been very careful. Right. But the instant that all these protests happen, all of a sudden all the politicians are like, yes. Yes, this is fine. This is okay. We can do this, but don't you know? Don't have twelve people in your backyard. But a mm-hmm. protest of a hundred, quote a right. hundred, when you've got thousands. I mean, if you look at that thing of what was it, L.A. where they had the what, what's the massive protest, and it was just tens the, of thousands of people. In the First Amendment, in the First Amendment, it makes no distinction between a religious gathering and a totally. gathering for protest. Yes. In fact, they're both covered by the same right. amendment. And let me be clear: and the I, same size of crowds, regardless right. of what they're doing. Are okay. And let me be and let me be completely clear. I applauded the fact that the government did not come down on those protests because whatever you felt about the subject matter or how you felt about it, that is the way that it's supposed to work. That's what protests are designed to do. They're designed to be And I also very much appreciated that at least on the national level, I don't know state to state and on our state, there was a very clear differentiation made between the protesters and the rioters because they were definitely two distinct groups. And I, I appreciated that. And but, that was even made by the protesters, right. distinct, distinguishing right. themselves from But my rioting. struggle has been now, now that we're seeing a surge in some of these things, again, whatever the surge may be made up of, no one is acknowledging that those had a factor. When, when DeWine spoke about this, he talked about, you know, he was talking about, 
you know, being, you know, Ohioans, you know, maybe we're getting a little lazy. I know I have. And, and, you know, think about going to that family reunion, but what if, what if, what if, what if you, you go to a family reunion? Is it really worth it if grandma gets, you know, contracts COVID and ends up dying? You know, what about going to, and like goes through these things and I'm like, those are fine. You know, you're wanting, you're wanting to use emotion to stir this. I get that. You're a politician. That's part yeah. of what you do. But please include the fact that we've just had these massive protests that would contribute to that. List the top I just 10 want them acknowledged. largest gatherings in the last three months. What yeah. were they? Just yeah. off the top of your head. But that's the thing. I just want the acknowledgement. I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying they shouldn't right. have happened. But we need to pay attention and acknowledge that. Because that right away, that puts you on a foundation where like, okay, you've started out disingenuous here. What else should I not be swallowing? But you're right. This is about going after rule followers like churches. Churches right. are going to follow the rules because they want to be compliant. They want to be peaceful. They want to right. get along with everyone. Companies are going to be compliant. We don't want an adverse situation in which Nor to do Nor do they business. want to close down again. Nor do we ever want to close down again. Like. People are going to comply because we want to follow the rules. It's just gotten really unclear right. like how we know when we can go back to doing things as we were. Right. What were you going to say, Dennis? Oh, you no. were starting to hop no, in. No, I was just, um, back to your point about the protest. It is interesting because the data really does back that up. If you go back to mid-May, we were at nationally about an 8% positive rate when things started reopening in mid-May. That decreased, the four weeks following mid-May, that decreased from 8% to about 4%. And it stayed at 4% until late June, early July. It increased, now we're sitting back up about 8% about where we were in mid-May. But that increase in late June, early July, if you go back two or three weeks, is when the protest started. Yeah. So. Ep from an epidemiological perspective, that totally correlates. It correlates far better with the beginning of the protest than it does with the beginning of reopening. Right. And not only that, but the majority of the spike, as I saw it and, and looked at this, was, was the average age was 20 to 29. That, yeah, that's exactly right. The median age in the last month or so Drop. has dropped from about 53, 54 Right now, I think it's low 40s, the yeah. last I saw. So, yeah, yeah. That, that definitely. So, again, that, that matters because of the very things we've been talking about. We've right. known from the beginning who this affects and how. And I get it. We want to protect those people. I'm not begrudging that. I just don't think this is necessarily the right way to do it. Right. Have we treated our older people and our care facilities like glass early on? Right. Mm -hmm. we, might, we might have been able to save people in a way that, we can't now, like now right. that the cat is out of the bag, it's, it's difficult right. to, and we right. still should, we still should take care where we can. Like what I'm, what I'm saying is that the government has far overstepped their reach in this regard. They can, they can continually educate us if they were using real data and not trying to lie to people or anything right. else, just being real with people about where things are at, educate people. Right. Do it like you did with, you know, smoking and how we all learned that smoking is bad for us when we all had accepted that it was great for us. Yeah. Like maybe just educating your people and saying, like, this is the things we need to do. And they've been doing that. But, you know, and that's been one of the things that's been interesting, though, is that I have appreciated the lack of mandate from the federal level during this whole thing, <laughs> because. 
whatever you think of the man one way or the other, had President Obama been in office for this, we would have seen a national federal move on this because that's just the way that he saw it to govern. That's the way he saw that it, saw it working. Um, what that would have been, whether that would have been orders to governors, whether that would have been filtered through the states, there would have been some sort of head down view of this. And I, I do appreciate that the states have been allowed their autonomy and have been allowed to do these things, at least visibly, who knows what pressure may or may not well, be coming from Washington. I think the governor of New Jersey even said, if you don't like it, you can move to Alabama. Which is the whole point like of the state system. Good <laughs> night. And by the way, please, all of you people who are abandoning California for Texas, please, please vote differently in Texas. Than you did please in California. Please don't just turn it into California again because what you did and who you voted for continually is why it's that way. And if the problem keeps following you, you are the problem. Please don't. I just read another article again about how San Francisco has the worst wealth disparity in the nation where like the extremely wealthy and extremely impoverished are right on top of each other. And they're, they're writing this as this, it's a complete mystery. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe if I could point to another spot on the map that had less government intervention where the gap was not nearly as wide. In fact, if there was even a small enclave <laughs> of a completely laissez-faire economy where the government was not allowed to be involved in the economy at all, there would be almost no wealth gap. <laughs> but when the government becomes extremely involved in every minor detail of everyone's life and issues licenses and regulations about every single thing, imagine there's immense wealth and <laughs> devastating poverty. It's almost like everything you see in this every socialist country that's ever existed or even more extremely in actual communist countries. Sorry. This is why my constant quote is everything the government touches turns to trash. It does. <laughs> and and though though we say that the federal government hasn't mandated things, they haven't been especially great in not and just leaving everybody alone either. Totally. Like part of the stoking of the fear is due to the federal government's response. But all of this is going to be exactly like Jeffrey Epstein, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> we all knew Jeffrey Epstein was going to kill himself, <laughs> and we all knew that he wouldn't kill himself. Yes. In fact, he said, I, he said, somebody's trying to kill me multiple times. And we all knew that man was going to die, either by inmates or whatever. We just knew he was going to die in right. prison. We all know that COVID-19 is over November 4th. <laughs> it's over. I do get that sense very much so. Yeah. I'm, I'm calling it right now. November 4th, it's over. Yeah. Like, that's when flu season would be starting. November, December, this yeah. is a great time for flu season to begin. But ours is going to end. It's yeah. going to float away into the mist. Yeah. As we all either or celebrate suddenly, or, or there's suddenly going to be a vaccine and everybody can go or back to cry, work depending on your opinion but yeah. it's it's all going to be over and no a decent vaccine is not going to be available for five years a half-baked vaccine will be available in a couple months <laughs> if you know anything about how vaccines are developed <laughs> uh, what was great is they were on the radio advertising for people to take part in a study of a vaccine and yeah. they're like this testing is going to run from August of this year through November of 2021. And I'm like, but we'll be injecting people in mass much sooner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
Yeah. And, and depending how things go between now and then, that vaccine may be mandatory. Yeah. That's going to be a fun time for all of us. Well, again, I'm... When coronavirus vaccines as a family, as a family of vaccines, do not exist. Yeah. You do not vaccine for coronavirus. The fam- not, yeah. not the novel coronavirus, but this coronaviruses one. in general yeah. are SARS, not vaccinated for. AIDS. We started working on a SARS vaccine years ago and yeah. haven't come up with a decent one. Yeah. And this is SARS-2, the return yes. of SARS. Yes. <laughs> SARS the sequel. And there's not a great SARS vaccine for this one. Yeah. I'm not... And I'm not yeah, we've discussed yeah. this before. I'm not necessarily anti-vax or anything. I'm just saying, like, a good vaccine will not be available for five years. Right. But there's a decent chance of be injecting something here shortly. Yeah. I mean, plus, plus a vaccine is not a magic bullet. You're not going to get 100% no, immunity no. with the vaccine. Vaccines are a magic bullet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a suit of armor that you run around in, but you are very afraid of anyone without the vaccine because your suit of armor does not protect you. <laughs> You're immune, but not from those people. <laughs> you know, the people well, that again, might get that's, disease. That's one of the things that I think is funny because people people it's mis- like a mask. People misunderstand the like the influenza uh, vaccine, for example. Right. They look at that and say, I will get this and I will not get sick with the flu. No. <laughs> what this will do really sick from what the flu. this will do is reduce your probability of death from the flu. <laughs> that is what that does on a technical level, at best. That is what it does. And if that's what the push is. Right. Which is why they push for the elderly to get it so often. Because if you get this, you're the vulnerable. If you get this, you may get it, but it will not kill you. And yeah, and it's still the crapshoot of this is last or it year's might strain. Kill you, but you'll be in a lower percentage of the people that died from it. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's like, it's just, it's there is, there's this, bullet. yeah, there's this yeah, common, common misconception of what. Now, again, there are some, some vaccines that completely eliminate. Your ability to contract a thing. Those do exist. Mm-hmm. But they're a little more few and far between than I think most people would accept in that. And proven over a period of multiple, multiple decades. Right. Like, you right. like the polio are, vaccine. Yeah. Herd immunity is what we should be going for. Yes. So, yeah. So lick those... Uh, <laughs> lick those uh those you know arm rails going up the up what the stairs. What we should be doing is trading masks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's Tuesday. All mask right. swap. Who has the coronavirus? Can I get some of that over here? No, I'm just oh, kidding. Oh man. <laughs> no, don't follow. Don't that. do that. That's no, terrible. don't do that. I'm just herd immunity would be a better thing. Like that's actually achievable at a certain rate. Yeah. But actually. Statistically, though, we may be actually a lot closer than that than we know because right now we're just doing antibody tests where we're not testing for T-cell immunity, which is T-cell immunity is the immunity your body naturally develops by a small amount of exposure. So you could be exposed to it, you could develop T-cell immunity and not be vulnerable. And we don't, we have no idea how many of those people there are. And in places like New York City, where it just absolutely ripped through, probably the reason you're seeing no cases right now is because the healthy population is probably 60 to 70% immune by now. Antibody tests alone, you have about 20% immunity in New York. If you add in T-cell immunity, you're pretty close to the herd immunity threshold in New York, and it's happening in a lot of other places. It's, it really, statistically, if you look at the numbers, it'll, it'll go into a place, it'll move through, 
and then in six to eight weeks, it'll be gone, mostly because people have been mildly exposed, developed T-cell immunity, and, and there's not, the lockdowns and the mask wearing have no statistical significance on the spread because it's so contagious. And right. that's, that's what makes it dangerous, but that's what also makes a lot of these measures not very helpful because we're, we're slowly gonna get to herd immunity. It's just how much pain and damage do we wanna inflict till we get there. Right. Well, and it's, it's interesting to me because again, I, I, we use the, the influenza, the swine, the, not the swine flu, the Spanish flu example so much, but people misunderstand what happened there. Yes, the death rate was astronomically high. But Among it was healthy people, yeah, healthy young people. But that people. was the issue is what would happen is you'd get a 20, 25-year-old male who would get the Spanish flu, and within a week he was dead. It was the people like that had tuberculosis, that had weak immune systems. They would get it, and it'd be like just a little hiccup, and they'd be fine. But it would literally it would mutate your immune system to turn it to attack you, and, and you, you, they couldn't do anything about it. You wouldn't survive. You, you would just waste away, and you would die. And so that was a way more alarming thing because they're like, Arm, and this was in the middle of World War I, people. They, we were in the middle of, we had just started becoming part of World War I and the start happened. So wow. we, had, we had two million men who had left the United States that were fighting in Europe. And then this is happening and sweeping through our country as well. So it was, it was a very different thing. And obviously germ theory was way different then. As a matter of fact, a well, lot of what we... still have people wearing masks and stuff. Right. In, well, mostly in San Francisco. I've actually done some recent reading in that. There was... There was uh, San Francisco, I think, was the most severe where they mandated masks if you were with anybody but yourself. And they actually made arrests. They jailed people. Like, it was a whole thing. Um, but but it, all I'm saying is they're not a one-to-one. Maybe in the contagion they're a one-to-one, but in terms of who they're killing and, and, and what that even looks like, it's not a one-to-one. But we keep using that model, and I'm like, why? This, this, is, not, this is not the same thing. But yeah, it's a, it's a totally different disease. It spreads differently. It's, it affects people differently. And this isn't devaluing older people no. as opposed to younger people. It's just not. Like, no, but it does suggest a much better strategy. We could have done this much, much better. And we knew this early on. Within three weeks, we knew who this was killing. We knew who the vulnerable population was. We did nothing about it. And that's what gets me the most about this. Those 144,000 deaths aren't because you and me were walking around without masks on. They're because we knew what was happening. We did nothing about it. Yeah. As, as a government, as a nation, we did not protect the vulnerable. And that's why we have that many deaths. Like I said, if you take out the 60 and over, 65 and over, you're looking at 28,000 deaths. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's peanuts in a nation of 324 million people. Yeah. 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 So anyway. so I'm I'm curious what your what your thoughts are on just the whole modeling thing in general because again from my limited understanding of what models are they're very inaccurate. Like they're, they're they basically go worst case scenario, here's what we're going to get, which I appreciate to a degree because you want to think yeah. how far out do we need to take this as a possibility? But, but I, you, hear, you heard so much, especially in the early days, going off of this model, that model, this is what we're doing. And so many of those models have been very, very disproven as we've gone on. Mm-hmm. But like, what's, what's your whole thought? And, what, and how much 
how much of the numbers are actually included in that? Or is it just some random projection that a bunch of minds just get together and say, yeah, we'll say that's a thing. Like, what is that? Do you, do you have any window on that? Yeah, um, the, the models themselves are usually not bad. The epidemiological, wow, that's a hard word to yes. say, <laughs> are usually very comp complex and have been developed over a long period of time. So it's not really the models themselves that are at fault. But the models are only as good as the assumptions you feed into them. When this started, basically the only data we had was out of China, which, as we know, was complete crap. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was complete crap. They flat out lied about yeah. everything from the beginning. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Statistically, they lied. Well, you don't have I mean, to be because it's a communist country. This is what they do. This right. is what we saw Russia do. This is what China has done. Right. Ever since Mao took over, and, it's, it is what it is. And just as an, one example is the mortality rate. Coming out of China, you were looking at a 3.4% mortality rate. A 3.4% mortality rate, that's where we were getting the projections of 2, 3 million people dead in the U.S. Yeah. Now, at a 3.4% mortality rate, that is entirely plausible. Yeah. If coronavirus actually had that mortality rate, you would see about 2, 3 million people dead. So it's not necessarily the model's fault. It's just we had bad numbers at the beginning. If you feed bad assumptions into a good model, you get bad results. Yeah. That's basically what happened. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, we basically didn't know anything until Italy and France started getting bad. Right. And even, even Italy, Italy was, Italy was kind of an outlier because you had a heavy China influence. There's a lot of people immigrate. A lot of people go back and forth from China and Italy. Plus, you had an older population. They were much denser. So high, even High population of smokers. Right. So even some of those numbers coming out of Italy were skewed, which is why you still had high projections from the rest. It wasn't until we got kind of into it in the US even that some of those numbers um, kind of evened out a little bit. But by then, I mean, the, the fear had been yeah. perpetuated all over. Yeah. And again, I'll admit, I'm, I'm one of the people that in the initial days of this, I had a lot of anxiety related to this, mostly because of the fact that my wife works in healthcare. And we just didn't know anything. And I knew like she had to go to work. And there was nothing that I could do to stop it, nothing I could do to protect her from it. And we didn't know anything. And it was just, it was for, for about a week and a half, two weeks, it was tough. I mean, I wasn't eating. I was losing all kind of weight. Like, I was just not. Well, that part wasn't so bad. But I was just, it was incredibly uh, anxiety-ridden for me. And that is not in my nature at all to feel that. Um, but I'm also not in a situation where I don't feel like I have some say in the outcome of something, at least some little small say. And that was, that was very, very difficult to deal with. Um, but again, once we actually went into lockdown, I basically had, okay, we have two weeks. I'm going to give you one week grace period. So we'll have three weeks total where I'm like, okay, we can stay shut down. And then eight weeks later, I'm like, okay, what it, why are we here? What is this? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was my thing too. I mean, we, we, what we need to be doing now is protecting the vulnerable. If you're vulnerable, you stay home or you find your ways of protecting yourself and also, if somebody is vulnerable, people interacting with them should right. know that, be aware of it, get tested, you know, right. take precautions, whatever. But largely, this population needs to get towards herd immunity, and we need to interact with each other. What we right. need more than ever right now is for people to start interacting right. with each other. And 
those that can gather gathering. Like, yeah, I, the, I have zero problem with the protests. I yeah. also have zero problem with people going to clubs or to churches or wherever they want to gather. Yeah. Like I, I understand people are going to get sick from interacting with other people, but we do ourselves no favors as a culture by looking at other people and removing their humanity and looking at them as a giant ball of germs. Yeah. We are never going to get anywhere if that's our paradigm. Yeah. Being and afraid of each other never helped anyone. No. In inciting fear between people doesn't help anybody. It doesn't actually help grow the understanding that we're looking to grow as a result of these protests. We're looking to gather understanding of each other and come together in new ways. And we can't do that if we're constantly suspicious that that person's going to make me sick. Right. It, it, right. I don't, it's an odd thing. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It is a very odd the, circumstance. The looks that you'll get from people and, and the just the tension that you feel. And it was interesting because yeah. even today, you know, and I think you were in first service today, there was a palpable tension in the room. Yeah. And it wasn't like people were judging each other or any of that. It was just, I think, the gut punch of feeling like things were getting back to normal. And now all of a sudden there's a ch there's this major change and not really understanding the whys of that change. Are just people going to judge me if I'm exactly. wearing a mask? Are people going to judge me if exactly. I'm not? And can I interact with people? I can't shake hands. Like, how do I like how do I say hello if I'm wearing a mask and they're wearing a mask? What is, you know, and it's just. Inter interaction is tough. Yeah. It is. And isolation we know is devastating. Yeah. We know it's devastating to the human psyche. We know it's devastating in regards to suicide numbers, domestic abuse yeah. numbers. And if you're going to make kids stay at home from school, we know that like instances of child, like where children are in non-healthy environments, staying home from school is not great for those kids. Mm -hmm. School is one time that they get out of that. A lot of kids get out of bad home yeah, environments, abusive environments. Right. And, yeah. and so if we're going to make kids stay at home, the other thing is how much of a truancy rate, or I don't even know how, what you would call it for people not showing up for online school. <laughs> are we going to see, and are we ready to make everybody repeat the grade that they're in next year? Like what is, what is the plan? Yeah. And as and what's crazy is I'm like they cannot extend all of this stuff forever. We're gonna have to go back to school, yeah. and now they're just pushing it well, off through the school year. And I'm I like, I think that's one of the things that's funny though end? too. I've seen multiple times where they're interviewing pediatricians and saying, you know, would you send your kid back to school? And it's usually a place that they're trying to get a, oh no, absolutely not, it's not safe. And I've never seen a, one pediatrician say anything, but absolutely, I would send my kid back to school. Yeah, we, we should. We need to send our kids to school in the fall. And yet, then you have people coming out in the media. It's just dangerous to send people back to school. I'm like, according to who? Like who? Who are you citing? Like, give me anything. Give me something. Any show yeah. me, show me a place that's that 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 has opened up and it's been a problem with that. And again, I know this all. Y'all are listening to this, and you're going to be thinking this is all political and whatnot. Yeah. You know, I don't care. I don't care who's saying it. If you're wrong, you're wrong. And if you if you can just accept the fact that you're wrong and move a little bit to one side or the other and figure out what's actually going on instead of just saying, no, this is what I said from the beginning and this is what I'm sticking to, life will get better for everyone. Just just, just a little wiggle room. That's all we need on either side. Just kind of... I've changed my opinions a couple of times. I was nagging people to stay home early on. Yeah. I, I definitely was. I've made the phone calls. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Like, 
I've worn a mask. I've done all of it. I've taken people's temperature screenings. I've done this yeah. stuff. It's, I'm just saying that the government at a certain point is limited in what they can and can't do. Yeah. And if we give away rights in this time, all they need to do is tell us we're sick from something else and yeah. they get to do it again. Yeah. Like you cannot give permission to the government to take away even the most idiotic right. That it, do like, you guys realize we didn't do this with AIDS? No. When AIDS was killing people, suddenly, swiftly, and we had no idea how anybody was getting it, we did not have this response. I don't know. It's, it's just an incredible thing. But, you know, this, this disease may not have been made in a lab. It may have originated wherever, okay, but say the government down the road wanted to exercise this power again and say they were fairly corrupt and they're good and righteous right now. And maybe later on, a crazy corrupt government would want to cook something up in a lab, release it upon the population and shut everybody back in their homes. Now they can do it. And you have V for Vendetta. For, for, for <laughs> what? You have V for Vendetta then. Yeah. That's exactly what you have. Exactly. But I'm, I'm just saying like, it seems dumb to make this, like, why are you making a rights issue out of this? For me, it's like, you don't give any rights to the government. They yeah. have plenty to do with what they will. Why did the founders make such a big thing about, you know, somebody being housed in their home without their consent and things like that? It was a rights issue. Yeah. And at a certain point, it's got to become a rights issue again, where we tell the government this far and no further. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Again, this is my personal opinion. No, and I'm, I'm probably I'm coming across you. way stronger than I actually <laughs> am in practice. And whatever, I don't think so. I think you're fine. I think yeah. you're right about where you should be. <laughs> I don't know. Is this being judged by everybody has me second guessing myself all the time as well, yeah. which is not. Oh, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't care less about it. <laughs> I could not. But I want to be liked. <laughs> I, you know, no, I want to be correct. I know. I want to be correct far it, more than I want to be right. Oh, yeah. I definitely want to or be, I want to be correct, liked. but yeah. not, not far more than I want to be liked. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'd much rather be correct than liked. I just love people and hanging out with them. I love people, too. I do love people. In large crowds. COVID it's has proven. COVID lockdown has proved to me that I like people. <laughs> I, for a long time, I thought it was that. You used to say that you're a, a hermit that fights it. Yeah. It's not true. I've discovered this about myself. Although we had a good time during lockdown, our family getting to be together that much, and yeah, it was it was good. And my kids still are not used to me going back to work now, and they still do not like it. <laughs> I tell them that I have to go in for a full day at the office. Ah, oh, why? I'm like, because this is what you do when you grow up. <laughs> you go to work. But yeah, oh man. Anything you wanted to add there, Dennis? No, not really. I think I'm good. I appreciate you being the voice of reason in this conversation. And actually, the person who knows and understands things. Yes. This is nice to have somebody it is nice. that knows things. Yes, it is nice. For Usually sure. Nate's the only one that knows things in our <laughs> conversation. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true at all. My <laughs> areas of expertise are quite limited. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Oh, man. Well... They mostly have to do with social interaction. That's good, though. That's good, though. <laughs> All oh, right. Man. Well, we love you guys. Leave us a review. We love that, too, yes. if you can. And, uh, yeah, we, and we enjoy and talking we're, to we're you. Gonna we do, we're going to do a, another Facebook Live event soon. I, I oh, feel that one fun. of those needs to happen. 
it's been a while and we need to actually have some some interaction with you. I y'all. love interacting with yes. people. Let's do that. Yes, even on the cesspit of, of Facebook. Yeah. If yes. there's another way that you'd like us to interact, let us know. But this is the one that we feel like we can connect with people through video. I and it's know. also free. Yeah. So that's a big one. Free is good. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Dennis, thanks for being with us, man. It's been good. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. your uh, your measured responses to our rants. You good? Are yep. all hearts clear? We're good. All right. We'll see you guys maybe next week, maybe two weeks. Who knows? Like a little surprise for you one way or the other. Catch you later. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.